Updates on arts and entertainment, interviews with celebrities, and marquee guests. This is WSJ Speakeasy. Coming up. Hi, welcome to the WSJ Speakeasy podcast. My name is Michael Callia. Our own Barbara Chai recently talked to James Earl Jones backstage at the Golden Theater, where the actor, known for playing the voice of Darth Vader in Star Wars and countless other legendary roles, is now starring in The Gin Game with Cicely Tyson. Sit back, relax, and grab your earbuds. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. We're joined today by Mr. James Earl Jones, the star of the current Broadway show, The Gin Game. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast, Mr. Jones. Thank you. Of course, I know this is my first podcast adventure. (laughs) Exciting. Thank you so much for making us your first. So you are a two-time Tony Award winner for the Broadway shows The Great White Hope and Fences. And you've also recently starred in Broadway productions such as The Best Man and Driving Miss Daisy. So what about The Gin Game attracted you? Why did you decide to do this play? Uh, The fact that it was uh, looking like a good job and I look for work. Uh, I still have not a a better definition of what we do besides it's work, it's a job. And I don't mean that as a a negative, it's just that uh, uh, every night when the curtain goes down, I feel very, very good. Not because I've done a good job necessarily, or think I have, but because I've gotten through it. And it was it, it feels good, and I get to do it again tomorrow. What was your approach to playing your character, Weller Martin? He's a complicated man. Sometimes he's very tender. Sometimes he's a little bit caustic. What are some of the things that you empathize with him about? Uh, he... I found a definition of his uh, um, psychosis, his, his narcissism, not unlike Donald Trump. He can't help. Everything's about himself. Everything. Uh, but at the same time, as an actor, I have to realize even narcissists have feelings. They have wants and, and likes and dislikes. And uh, although they're warped, they're still real human Feelings that I have to play, bring bend mine to to his uh, to his state, you know. Mm. Compared with other characters you've played, was that more of a challenge to to empathize and to humanize him? I can't compare. I can't contrast my the roles I've done, uh, and I can't uh, I can't contrast actors either. I mean, I'm not a I don't try to be a judge. In fact, I try to. Uh, not not to be judgmental, uh, because it, that gets in the way. It puts me in the way of my really understanding what's going on. And it, it is it is a process. Uh, every character is a process. He starts. He breathes. He he talks, and he moves through a story. And uh, I'm in charge of him, uh, but I'm also responsible for him. The audience will never understand this man unless I show them what he's about. Mm. And I, I, I grant that to any actor, but I, that's my job. Is The audience will not understand him unless I show them somehow. I don't mean demonstrate, I don't mean telegraph messages. I don't believe in messages in, in, in theater or, or film. But um, uh, it, it, it helps to simplify it for me. That's a lovely notion. In other words, the actor gets out of the way, and don't you don't try to interfere or bring too much to each role. One one of the uh, 
important rituals, I think, at beginning each play, is the actor stands behind a dark curtain and lets go of himself. And he walks on the stage having let go of himself and the cares of his own day. You know, he can't take on the troubles he's wrestling with in his private life. They, they get in the way too, you know. So you co-star in The Gin Game with Ms. Cicely Tyson, who plays a character named Fonzia Dorsey. What does she bring out in you when you're both performing on stage together? Like you and I are having a conversation now, she and I have a conversation. It is designed by a writer, uh, the playwright. It's a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright. Uh, and we don't ad-lib things. We might do a grunt or something like that. Uh, but we don't. We, we we say what he says. We say, and and that's the only way we have of conveying the story. Uh. It's extraordinary because the play uh, debuted on Broadway in 1977 here at the very same theater. Yeah. The theater. Yeah. Uh, starring Jessica Tandy and Hume Cronin. Yeah. Did you happen to catch that production? No, I, I I was. I hope I was working. I, I was out of town or something. But I did see the film of that production, and it was not the best way to see a play, but at least it gave me an idea what what they were doing, and I did it didn't uh, I didn't understand it. it, it, it <laughs> I said, well, okay, that's them. Now wh what do we do? You know? Exactly. exactly. Uh, it, it was fascinating to watch them, and um, I, I was impressed by a lot of the things they did, but it had nothing to do with what she and I, what Cicely and I have to do. So you approach the play completely fresh with your co-star, Ms. Tyson? Well, it's mainly with myself. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I have no control over, over what she does, uh, except that it is a conversation, you know. Uh, I, one of the first gatherings we had, and a young PR person sitting there probably remembers this, we we had a, a gathering at uh, Sardi's with our producer, the playwright, and the two actors. And uh, one of the first things the sister said was, "Don't try to account for my character. Don't try to explain my character to, about her her, her yes. character." Now I understood that. Don't don't get in her way. Don't don't put your stuff in my way. You know. Mm. And so I, I I respect that even to this moment. Right. So I I can't account for much of what she she does or has to do in, in the play. That's interesting. So is every performance fresh and you almost don't know? Well, it's certainly different. Mm -hmm. It's necessarily different by time, you know. Yes. <laughs> it's a different moment in time and uh, things that happen to the actors between this, this time and the next time. Uh, by, by the way, I got, I got to preface my relationship with Ms. Tyson, uh, we worked together before. In fact, I, I knew her when she was a, just a kid, uh, <laughs> a, a, girl, a very pretty girl, of course, uh, and, and an off-Broadway production of Jean Genet's The Blacks. And uh, she's very, very impressive in that production. Then, like all actors, we become ships who pass in the night. And we pass, and, and we meet, meet up again down the road, and we've met up again. Uh, I've done uh, t TV with her uh, twice. Um, she she was the uh, the um, uh, 
running character in a TV series that George C. Scott did called East Side, West Side, based on the old song. And uh, they were, uh, George ran a, a welfare establishment, that he, he was a welfare official. And uh, Elizabeth Wilson and Cicely were his, his assistants. I was a guest actor on, on one of those uh, stories. And I had no scenes with Cicely, but I, I knew she was a part of that story. Later on, uh, we worked on a TV series, uh, miniseries called Heat Wave, about the, the Los Angeles Watts riots, a very horrible event that happened in California. Um, when I read the script, I said, nah. the problem with telling that kind of history is it's not pure. The, the tendency is for a writer to pick out uh, prototypes uh, and, and through which to tell the story. And that, that's not always the way life is. None of us are prototypical. We're all shockingly individual. And um, it's hard to capture that. Um, so I was, I was playing a black character. And right, right away you got a prototype, right? Yeah, I, an old black man, but Cicely had uh, had agreed to the production, and and I, I I was trying to pass on it. She called me up one day, says James Earl, you know, why don't you come in this this come into the story and play my boyfriend again? I said okay. So, <laughs> That's a hard offer to pass on. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I did, and I, I walked, walked with, with an Emmy, you know. Oh, so look at that. she she wasn't totally wrong. <laughs> Part of the appeal of the Gin Game, which, as you mentioned, was written by D.L. Coburn, Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, part of the appeal is that there's a lot of unexpected profanity coming out of both of your mouths. Uh, is it refreshing, or does the dialogue take you out of your comfort zone? <clears throat> Excuse me. No, I, I'm from a farm, and my grandfather said I could say anything that happens in the barnyard except... Um, using the name of Lord in vain. But I could say anything else. I couldn't use the copulation word. Uh, I didn't know what it meant. So, so, but we were allowed to say all that stuff freely. It was part of our, part of our language. Uh, when, when I came, became an actor and had a chance to use profanity on stage, it, it was uh, shocking sometimes. But... Uh, I, I fully engage my, my cuss words. Uh, I won't say I enjoy it, but I don't hate it either. You know, I, I'm not uh, religious or squeamish about it. It's also such a physical role. You're throwing things, at one point you're dancing. But we're also uh, way into our uh, old age, both of us, I mean, as actors and as characters. And I don't know how we can be physical. Uh, we sort of creep around most of the time. But I guess when you get excited, you can you can do things you, you, know, you didn't know you you could lift cars, right? Uh, no, uh, his his manners. Uh, he's he's a deeply troubled man, and like uh, he can't express the anguish he thinks he lives in. Uh, which is being in an old folks' home. 
he hates the people there. Uh, he hates them, he calls them glassy-eyed old bastards. He's very rude about them, you know, and, and she, she's defensive. She, she, she counters him, uh, but he, he has no other way of expressing his, his displeasure. Uh, um, he's really, I, I think, behind it all, he's really frightened of them because he sees where he's going to be in a few months, you know. We're all here for the same reason, because we have no place else to go. I mean, in, in this home, the old age home. Um, he doesn't get along with anybody. And, and it's problematical. I mean, he, everybody has their eye on him, because he might be, have to be locked up any time. He's, he's that out of control. So uh, the language is just part of that. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue talking with Mr. James Earl Jones. Join the Wall Street Journal at the Future of Everything Festival on May 21st to 23rd in New York City, where diverse global newsmakers share unique perspectives on navigating a changing world. Immerse yourself in live performances, explore pioneering technologies, and indulge in the city's inventive culinary scene. As a podcast listener, enjoy 20% off current ticket rates with code PODCAST. Visit wsj.com slash F-O-E-F podcast to secure your spot. Traveling on business? Then take us along and stay on track. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, WSJ Speakeasy. We've been talking with James Earl Jones, the star of The Gin Game on Broadway. Thanks again for joining us, Mr. Jones. You were recently honored at the American Theater Wing Gala, and at that event, George Lucas said that your voice was very, very special and that you created one of the greatest villains that ever lived. Of course, we're talking about Darth Vader with very little dialogue. Have you seen the new Star Wars film? No. You haven't? Not yet. No. <laughs> well, everyone's been talking, of course, about... Uh, the new stars, the new villains, the new heroes. Um, one of the lead roles is actually played by a black man, John Boyega, and he also has co-stars, one of whom is a woman, and one uh, of Guatemalan descent, Oscar Isaac. and Getting a bit diverse, are we? Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, exactly, and it struck me because in the original trilogy, it was a mostly white cast, except for you and Billy D. Williams. Wait a minute. Before Billy came on the scene, uh, there was no black guy. There was a guy in black, <laughs> and and I I voiced him, but I didn't play him as a black guy. But it was assumed, I guess, that uh, whoever's behind that mask is, is a black dude. You know, uh, I, I didn't worry about that. I I was given some very special dialogue. I, my son and I were, were examining it recently. His dialogue it reminds me of the kind of things they had the Roman legions say to each other. Okay, you, you have a language, which was Latin, uh, Italian, and you go to a foreign country, you've got to have a special language that you can use in that country, whether it's England or wherever, wherever you're dominating, you know. And it's that kind of dialogue. It's dialogue sort of at a distance and has a certain stature to it, you know. And that, that's the kind of dialogue that, that, that uh, George gave uh, Darth Vader. Not, not that choice, you know. But, but it's, uh, 
it, it, it almost directs itself um, in terms of how, how it's delivered. It's the, the language is is the character from for me. You know, I mean, he, he he's got that great look, uh, that horrible look, but um, the language was my only uh, involvement in terms of uh, who who this man was. Do you know if you will be in the spin-off film, Rogue One? No, Darth is dead. And uh, you also are very well known for voicing the Lion Mufasa in The yeah. Lion King and uh, are returning as well as Mufasa in the spin-off TV series, The Lion Guard. <laughs> that was a kid's table, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Is that uh, is Mufasa or Darth Vader? Are these the characters you're often approached about by fans, young or old? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and I love it. Uh, if a kid asks me for an autograph, whether it's a helmet or a picture, I I can't say no. I I can run away, but I I can't say hell no. I, <laughs> uh, I do as many as I can. I I I stopped receiving it in the mail though. You stopped receiving yeah, mail helmets. Yeah, I, I, I can't. So it tends to pile up. I mean, sure. and I, I understand the, the not just fans, but people who make their living trading and uh, swapping and selling uh, memorabilia. It's okay. That's it's a good job. Uh, but but I can't accommodate them all the time. Sure. So you've had a tremendous body of work in film and television for more than 50 years, very distinguished career, and yet you do continue to act on stage and continue to do plays on Broadway. Is the theater where you feel most at home? That's where I got my training. You mentioned the American Theater Wing. It was a conservatory uh, back when I first came to New York. Uh, it was a place to study, not the, the theater. We studied uh, acting, dancing, fencing, all the things that we might use in, in, in performance. Uh, I can't sing, but uh, everything else I had to train to get control of. And I'm, all, I'm also a stutterer, as you've noticed uh, as, as, we, as we talked, uh, and I had to learn how to work with that. Not, not, not eliminate it, I can't do that, but to work with it. See, that's extraordinary because I don't hear any of that. I didn't notice Oh, actually. I do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, I, then I'm getting away with it, man. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us. Right. Congratulations on the gin game on Broadway at the Golden Theater. Thank you very much. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.